You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. Sermon series called Changed. And we want to take a look at what what do we see happen when people interact with Jesus for the first time? When Jesus comes into the life, what changes? What's new? What's, what's different about that person? What's better? This is a discipleship conversation. And the last couple of years, we've had a, a 10-week series each year about discipleship. And we decided to uh, make this two five-week series and split it up in the spring and the fall. And then just have the conversation in a very different way. So this, this year is going to be much more about stories, especially this first series. We're going to take a look at stories and, and see what we can glean from those stories. And we want to ask ourselves, what did the disciples learn about discipleship? What did they, when, they, when Jesus ascended into heaven and they could think back on these stories, what did they glean? What did they capture from those events? And how did it change the way they thought about discipleship? Which leads to the next question, what, what do I need to learn about discipleship? What can I learn about what it means for me to engage with my friends and talk to them about Jesus? What should this look like? So this is a five-week series, and I'm excited to jump into this series and and just look at these stories with you guys. Today, we're going to look at uh, two stories. We're going to compare and contrast uh, Luke 5 with the calling of the first disciples and Luke 18 where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we're going to compare and contrast these two stories and see what we learn. Let's jump into Luke chapter 5. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, which is... uh, I lost it. Yeah, it's definitely something. Um, Legality. Legality. It's another G word. Wow. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let, your, uh, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. And he could also say, and this is the dumbest fishing idea ever. But he doesn't. <laughs> he admits that part. Well done. Well done, Peter. 
but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, for now you'll be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What a cool story. When Peter and his friends experienced Jesus as Lord, they walked away from everything they'd ever known. Now, at the beginning of the story, Peter calls Simon, Peter calls Jesus master. That's a respectful greeting. You would call anybody in that culture, anybody that had a higher social status than you, which you're, if you're a fisherman, that's, yeah, a lot of people. Um, anybody that higher social status, you call them master. It was a respectful greeting. In the eyes of Peter, Jesus, Jesus goes from master to Lord. Peter recognizes that Jesus is from God, that while Peter is unholy, this man before him is holy. There's something different about this Jesus. There must have been something about that particular catch. Because like all that fish coming in didn't matter. Probably the largest catch that they had ever had by a gazillion. And it didn't matter. We want to compare and contrast this story to the one found in Luke chapter 18. It says, uh, a young ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? We should pay attention to how he refers to him, right? What does he call him at the beginning of the story? What will he call him later on? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Jesus goes on and says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And we're told that he walks away from the conversation. 
different story, different ending, at, at, least, at least at this point in this man's life. But I want to give you some context about Luke. We decided to uh, share these two stories out of the same gospel so that we could see the themes that, that Luke wants to communicate. And one of the things we need to understand is that an important concept to Luke is this idea of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is, is, is documented, is captured by Luke 31 times out of 24 chapters. Luke captures this conversation more than any of the other gospel writers. And Matthew, Matthew's going to call it the kingdom of heaven. It's really the same conversation. But the kingdom of God, though it's not in these two particular stories, it's throughout the whole gospel of Luke and Luke's account. And so this is a kingdom of God conversation. Both of these stories are kingdom of God conversations. Now, when you think about kingdom of God, when do you think of that taking place? Where is that? Oftentimes, we'll think in terms of heaven. The rich young ruler was thinking in terms of heaven. But I want to go back to last week's conversation about resurrection. Remember that I said that that the perspective on resurrection, that, that Martha was like, if you would have been here, he, he would be alive. And Jesus said, he will be resurrected. And, and Martha was like, I know. In the last day, when the Messiah returns, is what she was referring to. And Jesus is like, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Resurrection is available to you now. Throughout the gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God, and then throughout the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven has both a now and future reality to it. The Jewish mindset of that time was kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God happens when the Messiah returns. Nope. Well, that's true. It's now as well. We are to establish God's kingdom here and now. We're not to wait. Kingdom values are to be lived out here and now. So, so we need to know that this is one of the realities. This, is a, this, is, this context is really important for understanding this story. Again, the rich young ruler is like, Someday, I want to be in God's kingdom. Today, I want, I want to be in my own kingdom. But someday, I want to be in God's kingdom. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, don't wait. Don't wait to live within the kingdom. Follow me now. The other thing that's important to understand about this conversation is, is Jesus refers to the Ten Commandments. And, and the way that they talk about the Ten Commandments is maybe a little different than the way we talk about it, so I want to talk about how they talk about the Ten Commandments. So let's look at the, our first list. The Ten Commandments, in the Jewish mind, mindset, they're, they're divided. There are five commandments that are 
vertical. They are five commandments that refer to relationships between us and those who are in authority over us. So um, the first four being God, God is in authority over us. And the last one being mom and dad, they are in, in authority over us. And so this is how we relate with those vertical relationships. The next five commandments are horizontal. This is how we relate with people that are our peers. I'm not to murder you. I'm not to commit adultery. You don't want me to steal from you. No, no false witnesses and no coveting. So this is the way they thought about the Ten Commandments. This next slide shows you the five of the Ten Commandments that Jesus mentions to the rich young ruler. He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, or as we like to put it, mom and dad. This is the five that he refers to. What are the five that Jesus wants the rich young ruler to focus on, though? The five that he doesn't mention. Because that's a rabbinical tool. Jesus is inviting this young man to think about the scriptures. And so he's not going to give him the answer outright. He's going to ask him to dwell on this. This, this is a discipleship conversation, but doesn't mean this is the last time Jesus talks to this man. So let's look at the five that, that he did not mention, which is how do you relate with God? And oh, by the way, don't covet. Now, first blush, does it make sense that God would talk to, talk to a, a rich young man about coveting? Initially, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. He has everything in the world. Why is he coveting? Uh, but I'll say this to you. Mother Teresa would never have a large bank account because she would always give it away. A rich person doesn't become rich without coveting. And a rich person doesn't stay rich without coveting. Here's what I think Jesus is saying to this rich young man. Your coveting is getting in the way of you seeing God. Your coveting is getting in the way of you seeing God. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He's inviting the rich young ruler to see that he is God in the flesh standing before him. Now, in my experience in life, I've seen a number of things get in, get in my way and get in other people's way of seeing God. Either just in the moment or in that time of their life. But I've seen, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, striving to just be on par with our neighbors and, and what, do, what do they have. And I've seen addiction. I've seen addiction get in the way of people seeing God. I've seen uh, 
fame, people within our social circle and, and, and those relationships that sometimes define us, get in the way of us seeing God. I, I, there's been times where I knew that, that my friend group was not uh, the best friend group in the world. You know, like they weren't making the best decisions in life. And I knew that I needed to walk away from them. But man, that's hard. When all your friends are going one direction and you feel God calling you another direction. Schedule. I've seen people's schedule get in the way of them seeing God. Maybe even doing good things. But they miss God in the process. I've seen shame. Shame. Get in the way of people seeing God. Things that they've done or things that were done to them. And, and, and I've heard so many people say, I've done so many wrong things that God can't possibly love me. Um, I've also seen church hurts. Challenges, problems within the church get in the way of people seeing God. That was my dad's experience. My dad, when he was in his 40s, hey brother, my dad, when he was in his uh, early 40s, sat in his car and was contemplating taking his life because his life was a mess. And, and he prayed a simple prayer that changed his life forever. He said, Lord, I suspect that my perspective of you is wrong. The, the perspective that he gained by his interaction with people within church. He says, I suspect that my perspective of you is wrong. Will you teach me who you are? So my dad experienced church hurts. And sometimes when people experience hard things in church, it's the hardest thing to get over, to, to, to see God. And, it, and oftentimes it leads to, to the shame, leads to the addiction, leads to people chasing after things like, like fame and fortune. They, they chase other things because they desperately want to fill that hole that only God can fill in their lives. The author of Hebrews says this, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's, let's, let's strip off every encumbrance. Let's, I, he's, the author here is tongue in cheek. They're talking, uh, they're using uh, Roman games language here. The stripping off everything, like they ran naked. So it's like whatever gets you in your way of running, of winning the race, of, of, of achieving the prize, whatever gets in the way of you seeing God for who he is, get rid of that. Now, I, I want to compare and contrast these two stories a little bit and just see what we can learn because I think these two stories together tell us more of a story. Uh, 
Peter starts off seeing Jesus as master, calls him master, and at the end of the story, we'll call him Lord. The rich young ruler at the beginning of the story calls Jesus a good teacher, and at the end of the story is like, ah, that's not good. That's bad teaching. I can't buy into that. Peter was willing to let go of of the riches he had just gained. The rich young ruler probably inherited his riches. He's like, nope, hanging on to that for dear life. Peter was willing to do what didn't make sense to him. Like, Peter, fish were... No one fishes. <laughs> Drop your net here. No one does that, Lord. Yeah, do it anyway. Okay. He was willing to do what did make sense. The rich young ruler was not willing to do what didn't make sense. Therefore, Peter was willing to follow, and the rich young ruler was unwilling to follow. But I think here's the key difference between these two men. Peter was honest about his unrighteousness. He was honest about his brokenness. He was transparent. One more core values. The rich young ruler, he says, I've always kept those commands. Always done that. He was self-righteous. He, he didn't need what Jesus was selling him. Peter was aware of his need for a Savior. And that's huge. Three implications. Three implications of, from these stories, these interactions. Implication number one, experiencing Jesus as Lord changes what you will live for. When you experience Jesus as Lord, it'll completely redefine what you're willing to live for. Why are you on this earth? What is your purpose in life? Seeing Jesus as Lord will change that. Jesus won't tell everyone to sell everything but he will always lead us to live for his kingdom now and the future. Implication number two, Jesus does not belong in second place. Ever. He he doesn't belong there. Second is really last. If Jesus is second in your life, he's in last place. If Jesus is in second place in your life, you're living for your kingdom and not his. And if he asks you to do something and you don't understand it, he still deserves first place. He's the risen savior. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He deserves first place in our lives. Then implication number three. 
the goal of discipleship is to see your friends experience Jesus as Lord. This is what we do. This is why we do what we do. It's that they experience Jesus as Lord. It, 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 it's not about just simply have truth-telling. It's not simply to have someone live morally, although that's good. And, and eventually that should come. It's not that they, that they should be safe and happy. We're inviting people to live for a kingdom that's different than the kingdom of darkness. John chapter 1 says that people love the darkness. And we have to help them see and know the light. The goal of discipleship is to see your friends experience Jesus as Lord. And I think about this the most when it comes to parenting, because sometimes as parents, <clears throat> we want our kids to live morally. We want our kids to be safe. We want them to live securely. We want them to have happy lives. All those things are good. But if they do all those things and never know Jesus as Lord, we've, we've failed in some way. Or we're not done. Maybe we haven't failed, but we're not done. Experiencing Jesus as Lord changes you. And as we pass out communion today, I want you to contemplate Peter and a rich young ruler. And just this week, who do you identify with more of? Who do you identify with? Is there something getting in the way of you seeing Jesus as Lord? Is there something distracting you? Is there something that needs to be stripped off because it's encumbering you? Is there a sin that's getting in the way? Take some time. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.